Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And a very generous Marcus D, as today I finally brought the alcohol for today's episode. Like, three times a year, he'll actually buy the alcohol <laughs> instead of me. He just expects the alcohol to be here, like, when he gets here. Like... Like magic, I'll just show up and be like, where's the alcohol? I'm like, oh, thank God, that's, that's good. But no, and I'll just sit at home and I'll be like, you know, I haven't gotten alcohol uh, for the for the podcast in a while. And then uh, a while I was like, you know. I, think I mean, I, you got I, a good one. I really like this one. I think the last time that I actually bought this was like when our episodes were in the teens. I think it was the last time that I actually, think I actually provided alcohol for for the episode. Although we have had this one, I think, more recently. Maybe not this specific one, but it's um, Ace Pineapple we're having yeah. to get, a, which is a really, yeah. really good cider. Let's go ahead and crack it open, then I'm all for doing... Oh, there we go. Yeah, if you like ciders that are a little on the sweet side, Ace is really good. Which they have a lot of interesting flavors, and I really like the pineapple. Which is funny, because... Oh, I, these aren't twists. No, they're not twists. <laughs> I am not hurling this across the equipment... There oh we go. Gosh. There we go. Bottle opener. One of those trying to break our For stuff. For some reason, I thought Ace were twists. <laughs> no, well, it's funny because I bought. Uh, I I dislike sour beers, but I enjoy sour ciders, which is interesting. I don't. Mm. I also like sour ciders. That's pretty good. But I have good taste in like sour beers. Well, this is the best that America has to offer. I think we. Uh, I think we did pretty good. <laughs> actually, I had, you know, I'm really the, not. I actually was really ready to say something bad. And I'm like, you know, that's not too bad. The pinnacle of the American experiment. I know. Ace pineapple this cider with only 150 calories. Some of that look with only four percent carbohydrates. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is, like, I don't think you actually normally watch that sort of stuff. I'm usually the health nut out of the two of us. I don't. I don't. Oop. Uh, and it's gluten-free and vegan with no sugar added. And it tastes this good. This is just shocking. Oh, my God. You act like they're paying us. Like, I know. This is shocking how tasty this is tasting with all that stuff. Okay. Now, I want to pitch something at you before we get going. All right. Let's, let's This is based. Uh, I've been going into uh, the. We, we have a Discord for the patrons. And I'll pop we in do. every once in a while and just chat with people. And I was chatting with um, the Dark Phoenix on there. And they were like, you know, we should do a watch party. Mm -hmm. And do you remember a few months ago where I mentioned that there was that weird anime created by a cult? And I'm, I said we should do something with that? I do. Are you thinking what I'm thinking now? Uh, are you thinking let's do a watch party <laughs> I, I of that? Because, yes, that's what I was Talking going like, to Vic, I have this great idea. Let's do a watch party out of that anime done by the cult. I'm a little worried because every time we do anything, like, based on a cult, you end up almost joining. Okay. <laughs> so I'm a little concerned. First, okay, for the record, okay, the Athuris Society was really nice, and they you promised me infinite wisdom. <laughs> I could come live at their men's compound <laughs> for free out in California. You it's better are than anything so, you've offered me you here are at what so Gandalf Society. <laughs> susceptible to joining cults, I swear. 
But they wouldn't make me buy the beer. <laughs> like wh- three times a year you buy it. Just saying. <laughs> Although probably what happens, I'd get there and they'd be like, Marcus, we don't want people to drink alcohol higher. And I'd be like, they come pick me up. I can't stand it. These people are crazy. Yeah, I agree. At that point, it's Audi. Audi. No. I, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> but I like beer. No, no, no. I was just, I was laughing probably because that's probably what would happen. I would get swept up and then just get there. There's no alcohol and freak out. <laughs> uh, we want to give a big shout out to everybody too. Everybody that's been enjoying our uh, our underwater paranormal phenomenon uh, month well, actually went, went went pretty well, and it's been getting a lot of positive feedback. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much for do- just diving in on that. We appreciate that so Dude, much. I said diving in, D- diving in. Yeah, because because it was underwater stuff. Oh, except for you with that episode of being rain. <laughs> oh, could have been like thank you for keeping us above water. Oh, oh snap. okay. Too many dad jokes. Too many. Dad jokes. Let's go too comments. Many, <laughs> too many. Too many dad jokes for that. Well, if you didn't check out our last episode, our last episode was the Silverman of Risley or Risley. I can't remember exactly how that's pronounced. Uh, which is a really cool. Uh, which is a really cool phenomenon of a gentleman that was driving past a nuclear research facility and saw this strange being in a silvery suit with yellow glowing eyes. Uh, highly recommend you guys go check that out. Super awesome. Uh, Mary Grace said, so glad you guys weren't injured in that explosion. I read about it and thought about, oh, my God, one candle society is in the same area. Glad you guys weren't any any closer to it. No, I I, pre- I appreciate that so much. That, again, thank you for everybody that was calling. Again, I was a block and a half away from uh, where that happened. It, like, there's one thing that, like, my like, the D family is very good at is whenever there's smoke and fire, like, we know we're the exact escape route to go, and I got away before the police barricaded it up. I can tell you that. And the Have they found direction. out what caused that explosion No, yet? they still don't. People thought it was a gas main explosion, but no, still nobody to this day has been able to give a reason exactly as to why that house just blew up. I mean, it was big, too, man. It was like, it. it sh- we were a block and a half away, and it shook the building so hard that we thought somebody had ran into the building. Until they say something, I'm going to assume drone strike. Yeah, drum strike trying to take out Marcus D. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take hitting the right building. Bet you wish that the studio wasn't at your house now. <laughs> uh, just saying. No, I don't think they're after no, no. us. They're not no, we're after we're, us. no, no, we're done after us. We've done way too much to get uh, the man in black that's assigned to us uh, a promotion. I ble- Gary, that was his name. <laughs> I was thinking the all last episode, what was the? What did we give the name to the, the agent that's supposed to watch us? So... Hashtag give Gary a raise. Uh, Sir Kiwi says some thoughts. The eyes lens is one of the most uh, radio. The eye, the eye lens is one of the most radio sensitive human tissues. And I could see nuclear plant trying to keep a spill or other accident. Hush, hush. Also takes 100 kilowatts of electrical power to make x-rays. For comparison, around 75 homes could be powered by 100 thousand watts of electricity that was my first thought when you touched the guys uh when you touched on the guy's watch and car maybe there was an electrical accident i could definitely see that being consistent with an electrical discharge although i'm a little surprised the car like started then yeah i also could see uh, a nuclear plant trying to keep a uh, spill or other accident hush hush i mean okay most people don't realize the level of safety precautions at a nuclear facility is, I don't want to say ridiculous. It's 
appropriate and beyond appropriate, like extreme to keep these sorts of things from happening. And so like if something like that were to happen, yeah, there'd be extreme motivation to keep something secret because the public does not like when that goes wrong. And a lot of them are so very reinforced from the outside that even like a direct plane crash is probably not going to cause a big problem. Mm hmm. Absolutely. All right. I wanted to read this one. Okay. Paranormal paratroopers said, I took a ride to the gym today to see what I could have done on the first day of the earth. And I thought it would be a good one day today. I'm reading this bright, by the way. And then maybe a few hundred dollars a month and a few more people to help us to keep them out of the house for the next week and a half. And it will be a good day for us to come back in time. And then they have the best wishes to all the people that they have ever seen you. So this is what, so this is what it's like listening to the start of your videos. Get on with it. <laughs> okay, brevity, brevity, brevity. Why didn't you start with that? We could have had more brevity in the in the in the in the beginning. I would also like to point out, like, I would like to congratulate you on the Guinness World Record for the longest run-on sentence in YouTube history, Paranormal Paratrooper. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, no comments. Going straight to the next one. We're doing this for Paranormal Paratrooper. That is par right into this. So because you wanted us to get on, we're nine minutes into this episode, right into the episode, just for you, Paranormal Paratrooper. See, we read the positive and the negative. So today we're talking about, we're talking about the Maelstrom UFO incident. And I got this. Uh, I actually got this idea for this podcast episode from watching the Disclosure uh, Congressional hearings that recently happened a couple months, a couple months ago where they referenced this particular incident, and I had not heard about it, and so I wanted to take a look at it a little bit, and it is an extremely interesting UFO case involving nuclear missile bases. Possibly one of the most important ones when it comes to analyzing UFOs oh, in national defense. Absolutely. And you know what's super weird is the amount of like national security threat that this particular UFO incident caused, they kind of just glossed over this. During those congressional hearings, like after reading this particular issue, I'm like, they really could have gone into this a whole lot more to talk about the threat that some of these UFOs might cause to national security. But remember, there were two parts of the hearing. There was the open and the behind closed doors part. And oh, it was yeah. probably handled in the behind. Oh, closed I'm doors sure. Part. I'm sure. I'm sure that it was. They just sort of, sort of glossed over it, but it was sort of like they just referenced it and then just sort of said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, yeah, this thing sort of happened. Then you know, moving on now. You know, it's sort it's sort of like your it's sort of like your dad just casually saying, you know, I was mugged once, and then yeah, you want to go for ice cream? Like, <laughs> like he just gives no context to what they're talking about in that, and I'm like, you can't do that to people. So uh, it's a really it's a really awesome incident. So you know how many awesome terrifying? Yeah, it's very terrifying, and it's going to get even scarier when we go, uh, as we get into this. So I'll I'll start into the I'll set the the groundwork. I'll set the scene for this particular UFO incident. So this is May sixteenth, nineteen sixty seven, and we're about a few miles from Lewistown, Montana, which is which is central Montana at the mail near the Maelstrom Air Force Base. Okay, so um. Specifically, there was two particular launch sites that had reports of UFOs that particular morning, like real early in the wee hours of the in the wee hours of the in the wee hours of the morning. Okay, so on May 16, nineteen sixty-seven, uh, the Echo Flight Launch Control Center, 
which is near Lewistown, Montana, okay, that morning, numerous security and maintenance crews reported having seen a UFO hovering over one of the missile silos. Uh, this was so scary that actually one of the security guards after this particular incident did not return to work ever again after this. Now, you might be asking yourself, what exactly are, like, like what are the types of missiles that we keep here? And I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. I'm going to get into a little bit. But around 8.30 in the morning, First Lieutenant Walt Feigl, I think I pronounced his right, who was the deputy crew commander, was briefing Captain Eric Carlson, who was the crew commander, when alarm bells go off, which is absolutely something you want to hear in a nuclear launch facility, uh, that one of the Minuteman missiles at the site had just gone offline. Uh, now, point of reference here, the Minuteman missiles are literally those giant missiles that you see in movies. Like those kinds of missiles, not tiny. They're like 50 feet tall and are the kind that literally are designed to take out entire major cities. And it just went offline. <laughs> kind of a concern. So, do you know, like, about what would be the, um, the damage equivalency to, like, say, comparing this to, say, Fat Man? Okay, so comparing it to Fat Man. So, the, the difference is, is it, can, it can do a much greater payload, like, much greater damage. And it's even more accurate than what Fat Man was because we're like 20 years later after Fat Man. Okay, Fat Man was this huge, massive wires and shit all coming out of it and stuff like that. This is much, much more advanced than that. These Minuteman missiles by 1965 were designed to be able to take out not only cities but other nuclear facilities that were buried underground. So the actual missiles that we're actually referencing here are not even the original Minuteman missiles. These are improvements by 1967, by 1967, these are like the second version of the Minuteman missiles. And so uh, it, it goes offline. Feigl's like freaking out because, uh, because of this. So he gets on the phone and he calls the site for where this is going on, being like, why is why are one of these missiles going up? Like, why is that going off? Like, this is something where your boss is probably going to call, you know. Um, when Feigl spoke to the onset security guard, he reported that they had not yet, because uh, what he initially had thought was that it was going off because they had performed some sort of maintenance on it and there was some sort of technical issue. This is his initial thought. You know, he's, he's been real rash about it. Um, but what he was told by the onset security guard was that they had not yet performed any of the maintenance on the missiles that morning and said that people there had been reported seeing a UFO hovering over the site that morning. So Feigl thinks these guys are drinking. He thinks he's drunk. This is crazy. Uh, however, shortly after that phone call, other missiles at the launch site started going offline in rapid succession. And within seconds, an entire flight of 10 ICBMs, 10-minute man missiles, all go down. All reporting them that they cannot launch. Um, Was there a specific, like, Error message equivalency for why it could not launch. No, was that ever discerned? I because I, everything I found just said it was. In, they just knew they could not launch them. No, eventually the so after the after this particular site and the next one that I'll talk about, they get into a whole investigation that Boeing, who made these things, did on it, and they never did find out the particular. Well, they found out that it was something to do with the guidance system that was taken out but they never fully got to the cause of what could have actually caused it. So it was the guidance system in the missiles that was take that was taken offline and why they said they were a no go. Now, uh, when all of these started going offline, 
like this is like shit hit the fan. Okay. Because these particular ICBMs, the reason about for why they are what they are, they're able to take out other nuclear facilities, other cities. We're during the we're we're during the Cold War. Okay, we're almost at the height of the Cold War. Actually, in 1969 and into the early in early early 70s, these missiles are what keeps the Soviets from launching first because these facilities are designed to withstand a nuclear attack, so they could be launched next. And if we don't have, because they don't know when they're coming on, because of the whole mutually assured destruction mm-hmm. thing. So now mutually assured destruction's up in the air. I can imagine, I can see this guy probably sweating some bullets. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I can see why in that time period he would be especially concerned. Yeah. Okay. Question real quick, though. Oh, sure. At this point, when he does start taking the UFO thing seriously, mm-hmm. what do you think is the first thing in his mind? Or do you think he's thinking, could aliens be real and actually interested in this? Or do you think he's thinking, oh, crud, what have the Soviets cooked up now? He's pro- my guess is he's probably thinking that this is a foreign government. If I had to make a guess, he's the kind of guy that's probably thinking about foreign governments. If I had, if he's sorry, he's in that sort of a position at these facilities, and at the level he's at, my money says that he's worried about that. He's thinking this is a foreign government, probably not the UFO, like an alien kind of guy. That's why I feared he'd be thinking. But I know, like you're focusing college involved, oh, yeah. like the Cold War era and things like that. So, oh no, 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 absolutely. I mean, they this whole time during this is like they are absolutely concerned about about Soviet spies, foreign dignitaries. I think the oh man, I, I want to say the the Rosenbergs. I want to say they were. I want to say they were shortly after this particular incident. There's the height of concern uh, about about this. I mean, and really, honestly, uh, if you look at some of the the stuff from it, the Air Force's policy going through the 1970s was generally that we should nuke the Russians first. Like, we should figure out a way to do that and just go ahead and do it. Like, that's their, their general policy. These are the kind of guys they have to put in this particular position. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and we're dealing with Air Force bases, so I'm like, this is, yeah. So, um, Tuggle is obviously concerned because these things are not back on. And so he sends out two team, like, two, like, SAT teams, like, strike, like, security two they're called security alert teams and they got sent to that base to that to that site uh where the maintenance crews are present and they were again were telling them about seeing this particular ufo overhead this red glowing orb that was hovering over the site in the air at the time um and multiple of these people are reporting back to this and then he gets back now Shortly after that, it takes them about an entire day to finally get these things back on. Now, fast forward, or not fast forward, like move down about 20, 20 miles southeast of this particular launch site at another Minuteman missile launch site nearby uh, at the Oscar flight uh, site. Deputy Missile Combat Crew Commander Robert Salas reported that while he was on duty, one of his airmen called him to report at what first appeared what they described to be a star zigzagging across the sky. Uh, He then saw another light appear and do the exact same thing, and this time it was larger and closer to the site. Um, 
Uh, Salas then, uh, he then asked to, his flight security controller uh, in charge of the launch control center to come and take a look, and they both stood there watching the lights, like we talked about, streaking across the sky above them. It would streak across the sky, stop, change direction at high speed, and then return overhead over the facility. Uh, his controller then ran into the building and phoned, uh, phoned him and said uh, that they had saw that they reported what they were seeing and that they'd been seeing lights making strange maneuvers of the facility and that they were not aircraft. This is the Air Force Base saying these are not aircraft that we are aware of, uh, of doing this. And uh, <laughs> so Salas, his response to this when, he, when, his, uh, when his officer is telling this is, I've seen these UFOs. He goes, good. Uh, just call me to let me know if they get any closer. <laughs> Which I think is kind of a weird response if you're seeing an unknown aerial object near a nuclear missile facility. I I think if I was him, I'd be like calling someone to be like, scramble the jets, yeah, <laughs> get like, this thing out of here. Like maybe at the worst case, like get a gun or raise an alarm. I don't know. No, or no, no. call somebody. Now you see, see me and you, we're, we're just beta males over here. He was one to go out and take it out by himself. He wants to get close enough where he just pulls out yeah. his pistol, shoots it once, it drops down, he finishes <laughs> off with his fist. He's a real man's man, and that's how he wants to take care of it. He ain't scared of it. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you this. I'd be saying scramble something. Yeah. So he <laughs> is like, just calm me because closer hangs up the phone. A few minutes later, the guy calls him back, and this time he's even more freaked out, more worried about what he's seeing, and he goes, look, we got another problem. Now it's hovering outside the front gate. <laughs> uh, and he's like, a what? And they said, a UFO is just sitting there. We're looking at it. It's hovering above the front of the gate of the nuclear launch site. What Did you get a bit of a Rindlesham Forest vibe I, off, off some of these stories? Uh, no, because I think they responded appropriately to the situation. <laughs> no, I mean, where right. it seemed like the UFOs were just doing erratic movement in the area. Right, right. But they couldn't really tell what they were trying to accomplish. Right. Uh, I also sort of get an Independence Day vibe when it's like that scene, like Will Smith, like it's shaking and Will Smith's like, is that an earthquake? And his girlfriend's like, it's not even a four-pointer. Go back to bed. Like, I'm not, <laughs> call me if the UFO lands. Like, it's... It's sort of like it's sort of like one of those. Uh, so is his uh, one of uh, so one of his people that's calling him saying it's right out front. What do you want us to do? And the guy's like, well, "What does it look like?" And he said, "Well, I can't really describe it. It's a glowing red object. What do you want us to do?" And he's <laughs> like, uh, "Now he's going to get responsible, and he's going to be like, all right, make sure the site is secure, and I'm going to call the command post.'" Which I swear reminds me so many times of being like a middle manager when I worked at Wendy's. And they're like, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, I'm not prepared. There's nothing in our training manual about how to handle I've this. I've looked in the manual. There's nothing to that where it says what to do. There's just a glowing light at the front door. Which is weird that the Air Force didn't have procedures at a nuclear facility for what to do if there's an unknown object in the air. I bet you do Air, now. I bet you do they do now too. By an Air Force base. Oh, God. And this, <laughs> this is sort of like chromatic justice here uh, for Salas because he goes, uh, the guy on the other line eventually says, all right, he goes, all right, I'm gonna call the, I'm gonna call command. And the guy goes, uh, I gotta go. Uh one of our guys just got injured. Click and just hangs up the phone. <laughs> 
Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. So Silas is like, what? What do you mean somebody's injured? And so he immediately was trying to, uh, try, he woke up his boss and told and began briefing him what, what had happened. Uh, and in the middle of the conversation, they started hearing alarm bells going off. And at this point, they started seeing the no-go lights on eight of their missiles all start going off. So it started at one base, then moved to another base seven miles away, and then repeated more or less the same process, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. And so they lost uh, So they lost about six to eight of these missiles around the same time as this is going on. And, and so... He's calling the guy back, the, his, uh, his guy on the scene back, to figure out what's going on. And he's apparently, what happened was one of the security guards had tried to approach the UFO and, been, and, and was not injured se- severely, but was being evacuated by helicopter to the base because he had just collapsed. So it doesn't get into specifically as to exactly what happened to the guy who approached it. Because I tried to look more into that, and I couldn't find any information specifically as to what happened to that guy. Um, and that he described that the UFO had a red glow to it, appeared to be saucer-shaped, uh, and that it uh, was still hovering outside of the base, uh, hovering silently. Which, again, in 1967, is not an easy feat to do. Okay, keep in mind about that. I think the closest thing that they had in that time period that could hover relatively silently would mm-hmm. be, um, oh god, what, what's it called? A hydrofoil? Those? Oh, a hovercraft. A hovercraft. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think they could get them quite silent that silent yet. I think yeah, they were I don't, fairly loud. I don't, I don't think by sixty-seven that ability. I don't think, and I might be wrong here. I don't think anyone's uh, put the connection together that you can use like. Uh, energy pulses like ionic lifters at that point. I, I think mm-hmm. we had not yet discovered that. Mm-hmm. And so shortly thereafter that, Boeing does, they bring Boeing in who makes them to do an investigation as to what might have caused it. And they believe that something, that there were no significant failures in it, but that something in, in the guidance system had been knocked down. And the only way that they thought what, what Boeing's initial thought was for what caused this was they thought that quite possibly if they introduced a 10-volt pulse into the data line of the missiles or the base, that it might have been able to knock it down, and they were able to replicate the effects about 80% of the time because of that. And so you're essentially talking about some sort of like EMP pulse causing this. Um, but the problem that what Boeing at the time was saying was, yeah, we can do this, but the technology to do this is is massive and bulky. Comparing the fat man to the minimum is so like we have the technology to do this, but just not in this way. Like to, like you you would notice it. Like you probably wouldn't be sitting above like in an aircraft to, to do something like this. Um. Yeah. Uh. And to this and to this day, there's still no official record as to what exactly caused like these like almost twenty nuclear missiles to just go offline, and. There's countless other reports around the towns the towns nearby these sites also reported seeing these strange red floating UFOs and lights in the sky in the months preceding this, like as far back as February. And, and after that, even a few months after this, these, this particular incident. 
I've got some things I want to talk about as far as like some potential motives and why sure. aliens would be interested in this. But I want I want to divert for a little bit for to a thought that sure. I had. Sure. I think, and this might be a little gutty here. I think that whatever powers these UFOs, I think our closest analogous technology is an ionic lifter, which an ionic lifter is um, just a simple rudimentary device that you can build yourself where basically you make a super uh, light frame that uh, usually out of balsa wood, you run some copper wire above it, and then you flow huge amounts of electricity into that copper wire, and you have to find some ways to do some lightweight insulation. But for the most part, that frame now flies, but that has no moving parts. To the best of my knowledge, it's the only way to make a flying machine that has no moving parts. Yeah. The other interesting thing is as it runs, it begins to glow. It starts creating a purple aura around the object, which when we were building ours, we didn't know what that purple aura was, and we later <laughs> found out that it's basically burning ions <laughs> in the air and is super poisonous, and we were working within a non-ventilated room. But... I feel like that's the closest thing we have to this sort of technology. To to levitate off the ground, sure, but not to pull off some of the aerial maneuvers that these guys are talking about that they're seeing where it's taking off fast speed, stop, and then change and then just change course like that, like what they're saying. Well, it would probably be a incredibly advanced version of this, or maybe this is just something that's similar to it, but I'm just putting together the right. it doesn't seem to have external moving parts. It seems to have a strange glow to it. Um, it seems to be able to pull off very strange and erratic turns. Um, like, the, I, you know, I don't know if... I believe people have made ionic lifters that you can kind of steer. Now, ours, you could not steer. You turned it on, it was on a string that kept it from flying away, and it would just erratically move around on the string, kind of like a June right. bug on a string sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get into a little bit about the motives and why UFOs, why aliens would be interested in this sort of thing. Sure, sure. And ultimately, I think it boils down to they find them to be a threat of some form, either directly or indirectly. Oh, absolutely. Of course, the first obvious thing would be perhaps they're powerful enough to be a direct threat. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some of you guys are going to say, well, if these things have crossed, crossed the vast sea of stars, they likely should be able to deal with this. But I personally, and I know I brought this up on the channel before, I don't think their motives make sense for something that far away. I think there's something more local, maybe something even from Earth, possibly something from a much closer uh, planet. But one possibility would be that, hey, this represents a legitimate threat to us. This is something that could bring us down, and if we screw around too much, they Mm -hmm. might actually fire one at us. Well, you can can still make the argument of that even if they cross the Sea of Stars that they could solve this problem, but still, one of the things that the Earth has that's unique, again, is biomatter, which is not... Oh, wait, wait, we're getting into indirect threats now. Yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're getting there. We're right. getting there. We're getting but, there. So I, I think one of the things that... I think one of the things that, you're, that we see in UFO and alien history is around the 50s and 60s, at the birth of a lot of these UFO-based faiths, religions, cults, whatever you want to call them, most of them are all centering around, you know, post-1945 that we've developed nuclear technology. Aliens are now worried that we've developed this technology. They think that we're going to blow ourselves up. By 1967, by 1965, we've developed the Minuteman missiles. Like, prior prior to the Minuteman missiles, okay, it took, like, an hour 
to launch a like launch. that's why they're called Minuteman missiles. Is because we went from liquid missiles you had to fuel that would take hours to do to the Minuteman missiles, which had a solid fuel source and could be launched in a couple minutes. Um, and not only could they be launched in a couple minutes, but now they can take out underground objects and they're even more strategic, like it's getting worse. And so the threat level is only going up. And so this may be why you're seeing sort of a, we need to get involved, but really it's hard for me to believe that because they let them come back online. Yeah. That's, that was my conclusion too. I think these represent not a direct threat, right. but more likely an indirect threat. Like proof of concept. We could do something if we needed to. Because like uh, one of my first thoughts for a indirect threat was uh, UFOs and aliens, the whole abduction phenomena it all seems very human-centered. And perhaps our concern is less to do with what we're going to do to them, and I think more likely concerned with what are we going to do to ourselves. If we launch a bunch of these, obviously there's going to be a sudden, sharp downturn in the amount of humans on the planet. Possibly a catastrophic bottoming out. And since there's, their interest seems to be fi- primarily on us, it might be along those lines. I'm not saying that they're benevolent in this case, but I don't think they have a vested interest, at least at the moment, in us dying. I, I think I think what this was, if you believe if it's aliens or if you believe it being a foreign government, if this is some sort of like external influence, what this is doing is trying to provoke to if we need to do something, can we incapacitate their ability to respond? Like, can we do something um, to give us, like, a day to do something? Yeah. Um, because, you know. Because what's the point of having your fancy missiles that can fire within a right, minute right. if we can stop you from being able to fire them? Exactly. But, you know, being able to take something out that, you know, took people an entire day to get back on, well, that's a long, long-ass time to... To wait, <laughs> and I mean, because I mean, we took out. They took out about eighteen in one day. I think by that point we had somewhere near. I think at the height of it, we had a thousand. I think of the minimum missile two of the, of the minimum missile, not like like version twos at the time. Uh, so I mean, they only took out eighteen of like a, a like nine hundred. Oh, yeah. being conservative on that number. I mean, I would assume that since this is the first time it happened, it's either a message or a test of concept. Right. It might be something where they're not 100% certain that this is going to work, so they're now testing it. Um, But another thing that I was thinking about as far as uh, why they would consider these weapons to be such a threat is nuclear and atomic radiation can affect genes and DNA and reproduction. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and if you go back to like Sorry. our video series on abduction we did, I think, right. last year, that seems to be their primary goal. Almost every time we look into abduction, it circulates around genetics right. and reproduction to a insane level where that becomes like the capital focus. Mm-hmm. So I was saying it could be connected potentially to that. I think a detail to, I think a detail to really remember about this particular story is that if you think that it might be a foreign government or somebody that's out there, like it didn't hide itself. It was just there. Like it was, it was like, it wasn't actively trying to hide itself. It wasn't being like, like 
secretive about it. Like it was hovering in front of the door. Like it was hovering like in front of the gate. And so like they were seen, they, they, they knew it's not exactly the best thing you want to do if you're trying to be a, I don't know, like a secretive foreign government or an alien extraterrestrial force. I don't think this one was a foreign government. Uh, I really or don't. E- either either one like they just sat in front of it they just they did they they there wasn't they weren't trying to mask their their identity they just let it be this massive glowing object in the sky and just parking out front it's weird that's it's a bold. weird message I I'm not totally sure unless it's a statement of hey we you can't stop me sort of yeah. thing like it's like it's trying like, to goad them into doing something maybe it's like your mom taking you to target being like you ain't doing nothing you ain't <laughs> buying nothing don't cause no trouble while we're doing it or i'm this is what's gonna happen like this is bold like it's just walking up to do that um but one of the ones i wanted to get into on this is that nuclear weapons could pose a totally different type of threat mm-hmm. they could pose an existential threat yeah, we can blow ourselves up. No, not to us, but to a oh. extraterrestrial or a like breakaway civilization, something like that. I agree with you. I agree with you. Because look at it like this: we invent the first uh, atomic bombs in 1945. A hundred years before that, we were still using flintlock uh, guns, and we had just invented the like printable telegraph. A hundred years before that, in 1745. Melee weapons were still relatively common in warfare, although we're beginning to be phased out. This, we're, we're going through a period of very rapid uh, progression, and like to, to kind of put um, a bow on it, mm-hmm. we invented this in 1945. Only 75 years earlier, in 1870, uh, there's the Battle of Mars Latour. Mars Latour is important because uh, it is considered to be the last time, the last moment in military history where a cavalry charge was effective. Uh-huh. It was during the Franco-Prussian War. It was ordered by Albert or Adelbert von Berdo. Uh, I'm terrible with names. Right. He, he gives this amazing quote because it's him and his 30,000 men about to charge 160,000 men. And he just says, it will cost what it will cost, and charges his 30,000 men in and manages to route them from the field. But this means there's only a 75-year difference between the last time cavalry charges are effective Mm -hmm. to we have a thing we can drop on you and kill everyone and destroy a whole city. I mean, I I can even lay an even scarier thought. It was only even 20 years after that. Actually, it, wasn't even, it was more like 15, really. Maybe closer to 15 that we discovered the concept of a neutron bomb and initially went, nah, we can kill enough people. We're good. Which, when in the course of human history have we done that? I mean, eventually we did make them, but like there was a good point when we just we could do it and we just chose not to because we could kill enough people. And that was scary as, scary as all hell. But how many yeah. times when discussing the motives of extraterrestrials right. and things like that, have we talked about the idea of them being a species that seems to be in decline? They right. seem to be sickly, falling apart. They seem to be possibly even trying to patch the genetic issues they have. Mm-hmm. We're really not at this point. I and mean, people can say what they will about modern culture. I think modern art kind of blows. But altogether, right. we're not. We're not a species in decline. Right. We're still a species in ascension, and we're doing so 
fast. I mean, it's not like I have another intelligent species to compare us to, but I can compare us to ourselves. And right now, compared to the standard course of human events, we're at an incredible acceleration rate. Yeah. Oh, no. We, we develop data so fast. Every single day, we create more data than every other day before that put together. It's the craziest concept when you really think about that. Every new day, we create more data than every other day combined. Well, that's nuts. Yeah. It's a I didn't sca- know that. Yeah, it's a scary thought. It's a scary statistic when you think about that, the amount of data we make every day. Like it's, it's, it's scary as hell. And looking at, like, say, the last 50 years, it doesn't seem like we're slowing down either. It seems mm. like we're reaching points of acceleration. So do you think that – so do you think that it's a – that – Aliens are scared like it's an existential threat to them that we may develop technology to overtake them. So they're trying to figure out they can slow us down. Maybe overtake them or maybe be able to match them in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like I really don't think they have that huge of a technological lead on us. They definitely have hit certain milestones that we have not hit yet. But I personally don't think they've crossed the sea of stars. I think they're from somewhere much closer. Oh, yeah. And, yes, we cannot recreate a flying ship that can do what theirs can, but we do have very fast flying ships, and we're always exploring new ways of utilizing it. We've also created a lot of very new things recently, and we're a culture in acceleration. I I think that there is a potential issue that we could reach a point where they cannot remain elusive. I I don't think they're that worried about us suddenly destroying them or something. Maybe they are, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that that would be the primary worry. It seems like whatever work they're trying to do, they want to remain elusive to do it. Right. Like it seems, it seems that they're more concerned with. It seems like they're more concerned with preserving Earth than worrying about us attacking them. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we talked like we looked at the the episode. Where I think it was the Patriot section. We talked about like the, the science behind. It. Like it really would. It would not take shooting a nuclear missile like that strong add another planet to blow it up. Like, if you just do enough speed, you literally can just take out a planet with, like, I don't know, a, bolt, like a rock. Like, I mean, you can do it. I mean, it's not that hard. So it doesn't take the tech, a lot of technology to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, enough force striking yeah. a planet. I mean, so, KT extinction. Right, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, it's more like we're worried about nuclear explosions on Earth probably more than we're worried about it somewhere else. So... Yeah, I, I think that that definitely puts a lot more uh, ships into the category of, like, that they're here and they're worried about us doing something to the Earth. Also, like, look at, like, this. How much has um, the the technology being reported by people who go through the abduction phenomena, how much has that changed since the, like, late 80s? Mm-hmm. You get more or less the same descriptions without massive change. Well, if you want to get scarier, if you think about like if you think about the descriptions that abductees give and how much closer like our technology is getting to the to yeah, that much yeah. further ahead of us. You they know, might only be maybe a hundred years ahead like, of us. If you talk about and like, we're hitting big milestones here. Like Bob Lazar when he was talking about the it was the it was the instrument that they used with the hand or whatever i think it was it was the, it was the hand panel that he was describing and i know that later 
like we we see similar technology with the hand panels of being able to get in of being able to activate things or get in, or get into or get into rooms or things or like you know lights and beepings and sh- and crap on walls and stuff. I mean it's 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 getting a lot closer. Oh yeah, we're 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 getting there. We're getting there. So okay, conclusions. I think that I think what the Maelstrom UFO incident was was it was some sort of outside force trying to prove proof of concept that they could incapacitate our ability to do a nuclear strike. I think, do I think it's from somewhere else? I mean, I don't think we can completely write off. I don't think we can completely write off that it's an outside force here or somewhere else. What have you? I think more people should think about the concept that it wasn't trying to hide itself while it was doing it. It literally came up to the front door and did it. I think people should look at that idea or like, look at that little detail and be more concerned. I don't think it was Russia. I don't think I don't <laughs> think they had this because I think if they had this, we would have seen this put into mass impl- or implementation, right. shut us down, and they probably would. They I don't know if they would actually fire nukes or they just put us in a place where we couldn't fire back and go, okay, surrender. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't think it was Russia. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe a breakaway civilization. Maybe extraterrestrials, maybe something else. But I don't think it's any known human nations. What do you guys think that it was? Do you guys think that it was UFOs here? Do you think it was you or sorry, do you think it was aliens here? Do you think it was aliens somewhere else? Do you think that it was another foreign government that was involved? Do you think that it was uh somebody domestically that was involved? We didn't even get into that idea. We didn't really even get into that whole concept. I have some thoughts on I have some thoughts on that uh personally. Uh, so what do you guys think that, that it might've caused the Maelstrom UFO incident? Uh, again, if you listen to this episode, don't forget to leave us a like, subscribe, if you're listening on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date when we put out new content and, uh, and leave us a review. That's one of the greatest things that you can do to help out the channel. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Cause we'll keep listening. All right, guys, we're going to slide into the Pillow Talk segment of this podcast. If you want to check out the rest of this awesome podcast, all you got to do is go over to our Patreon and sign up for as little as a dollar a month. You get the rest of this awesome podcast as well as bonus episodes that we put up exclusively for our patrons. If you sign up for $2 more of a month, then you get access to our poll to vote on the theme for next month. And I apologize that I have not put up the poll. I honestly thought that I had, but I went to go look at it and realized that I had not done it yet. But it is going to be up at the same time as this episode goes up. We're super excited to announce that we actually put up some uh, new topics for you guys to vote on, changing it up a little bit. So the topics are going to be abduction phenomenon, famous paranormal investigators, phantom creatures, and modern occultism. So definitely some new topics for whatever you guys would like to hear for next month. Uh, go sign up for our Patreon and uh, let your voices be heard. So uh, we're going to keep going uh, a little bit. There was some more of this uh, particular topic that uh, I think we could dive into a little bit in the, into the patron section. Uh, I, I I touched a little bit on the idea, my final thoughts on, uh, could this have been a domestic uh, cause rather than a foreign cause, like by another nation or extraterrestrials? Could this have been done internally? Okay, my first thought is this. I can't explain the exact nature of us having the sort of uh, craft to make these movements, mm-hmm. but I could definitely see us experimenting with, could we pull this off? Because one of the reasons I thought the Russians wouldn't have been involved, because I think if they could have done it, 
they would have done it. Mm-hmm. They would have implemented it ASAP. Uh, but it makes a lot more sense if it's an experiment. Like, say, they're testing it to see if it could work, and that makes a lot more sense if we're testing it more. That there is a government agency that's like, okay, we need 